Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. You don't always have to like him, but you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. Somebody sent an email. Uh, Bill sent an email. Not somebody. Bill sent an email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Should you really be telling everybody you're going to be away from your home on vacation? What about, you know, aren't you worried? No. Because I have a friend staying at the house, and he's got two Rottweilers. And they're not very nice. I mean, they are to, to him. But. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm fascinated with this uh with this whole issue of the world's richest story, the uh, title of the world's richest person changed hands twice as fluctuations on the stock market saw Amazon's Jeff Bezos pass Microsoft's Bill Gates and fall behind him once again. And uh, I'm just looking at the numbers. And it's amazing how it's changed. In 1982, $5 billion, Daniel Ludwig was the richest with $5 billion. Gordon Getty, uh, I'm, I'm, this is going so fast, I can't keep up with it. Uh, in 1988, Sam Walton of Walmart fame, Sam Walton, was the world's richest man, and he had $18 billion. And then 13 years later, Bill Gates was worth $125 billion. He's worth uh, $77 billion now, somewhere along the way, Mr. Gates um, did away with a lot of money. I know he and his wife run a very a major charity, and uh, Warren Buffett, I think, gave 90% of his fortune to the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates charity. But uh, this is just huge, huge money. And as Lisa said, produces the uh, technical end of this show, billionaire problems. Billionaire problems. All right. Um, there's another police raid which removed fentanyl from the streets of Edmonton. That got a lot of uh, attention. But I keep asking myself, what are these stories of police raids removing fentanyl and illegal opioids from the streets have to do with what's happening to millions, millions, and millions of chronic pain patients in North America? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 or 111 million chronic pain patients in the United States and maybe uh, two or three million, uh, maybe more, could... uh, million, million, between million and three million. I don't know what the exact number is in Canada. But anyway, these people are suffering, as you've heard, from tremendous and debilitating chronic pain that doesn't allow them to do anything with their lives. They they just have no quality of life. Many are considering suicide. We've heard them say that. 
some have committed suicide increasingly. I've heard from doctors who've told me and emailed me that doctors they know who are involved in pain management are talking among themselves about an increase in the number of chronic pain patients who are committing suicide. Now, what do you think the chances that is uh, are that that is connected to withholding their medications and driving their pain levels up? What do you think the, the chances are that there's a connection? You need to go back and listen to my interview with the Canadian health minister, Dr. Jane Philpott, June 3rd. Let's go to the Roy Green Show page on any of the websites of the chorus radio stations that carry this program. June 3rd, I interviewed the federal health minister. They wanted to talk to me to set me straight on the issue of chronic pain. Anyway, the, uh, the minister didn't have any answers, but she kept saying my questions were fabulous. Marvin Ross writes on health for HuffPost Canada. His most recent column is uh, politicians should stay out of health care. Hi, Marvin. Hi, Roy. Good to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. Dr. Lynn Webster, past president of the American Academy of Pain Medicine. Dr. Webster prescribes opioids as necessary. His film online is thepainfultruth.com. Dr. Webster was uh, investigated by the DEA in the United States for four years before they just packed up and left because they realized he was only doing what he's supposed to do, and that's provide help to patients. But I still see stuff, uh, and I saw an, an art. Len, thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I saw a, a, an article about you in an online publication, I think called State, or State Something. And it was a lengthy diatribe, and it was just an all-out, unjustified attack on you. And I understand that the editors wouldn't allow you, allow you to rebut. Yes, actually... Uh, the uh, the it's Stat News, and they um, wrote an article on the documentary that I co-produced, and their major criticism was that, um, the only criticism, frankly, is that uh, I did not disclose that I I work with pharmaceutical companies and thought that, that the lack of dis- that disclosure discredited the documentary. And so I wrote a, I, I, as you just pointed out, I wrote um, uh, an editorial or comment to uh, that particular piece, but they refused to publish it, so uh, I published it somewhere else. Now, and I commented on that uh, on that website and uh, wrote the truth about you, that you take care of patients, which is a doctor's responsibility. When I mentioned the, to the health minister of Canada, who's also a doctor, that the first line of the Hippocratic Oath is, first do no harm. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know what the minister's response was. I don't remember. Richard Lawhern, Ph.D., advocate for chronic pain patients in the United States and Canada, Facebook page with more than forty thousand followers. Richard's wife and daughter live with chronic pain. Richard, it's good to have you back on the program. Yes. Good afternoon. What's your uh, website? Well, the most of my publications are on a website called face-facts.org/lawhern. L-A-W-H-E-R-N. And uh, I work primarily in Facebook with 40 different groups there who, who uh, total uh, something over 25,000 patients All right. and family members. Okay, Dr. Webster, what's going on as far as the treatment of pain patients is concerned? Those who are living on the edge of the abyss or just cannot, they cannot live with the pain levels that, uh, that they're forced to live with. And I, I thank you because I put... Uh, 
someone, and I won't do this on a regular basis because I can't. It's not fair to Dr. Webster, but I was in touch with uh, with one woman in Massachusetts who was just in a horrid state, and you were back to her with with advice and help in a matter of minutes. So thank you for that. What's the reality for the pain patient, the chronic pain patient, who's on the edge of the pain abyss now? What are they facing when they go to their doctors? What are the, what are their prospects for being allowed to continue to be taken care of by a system whose mandate supposedly it is to take care of them. Yes. I'll tell you, um, most patients that have moderate to severe pain, particularly those with severe, are struggling to find even a doctor who will treat them. Physicians don't have many options. Insurance companies fail to provide coverage for alternative therapies, and opioids tend to be the only treatment for a large number of these people, and doctors are afraid to prescribe them for fear of losing their license. So patients are really uh, struggling to have uh, access to anybody who will treat them, and if they are going to be prescribed something, they're often prescribed far less than what has been effective for them. Are you considered to be a renegade by, by the system because you take care of your patients? Well, first, let me be clear. I'm not seeing patients anymore. I just do research. But I, I suppose because I'm standing up and trying to be an advocate for uh, patients that um, uh, I, I'm different than for uh, a lot of my colleagues, although I do know a lot of my pain colleagues, uh, uh, physicians, have the same views as me. Mm-hmm. They uh, just are not as vocal. They need to be because people are hurting. People are hurting badly. What's the story in Canada, Marvin, give us the, uh, the, the, the background on, on your most recent column. Politicians should stay out of health care. And, and when they do get involved in health care, as we heard with Minister Philpott, the federal minister of health on this program, which you are kind enough to reference in your columns, uh, she didn't do very well. Yeah, and I think the problem is you uh, mentioned it at the top of the show or the top of the hour. Um, the opioid deaths and the illegal fentanyl, and the government has no clue what to do, Uh, or if they do, they don't want to do it. Uh, So they take the easy route, and the easy route is to go after doctors who prescribe opioids and their patients, uh, assuming, of course, that doctors are over-prescribing, and, you know, maybe some of them are, Um, but most of them I don't think are. They're uh, writing prescriptions for legitimate reasons, and people are taking prescriptions for legitimate reasons, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the illegal use of drugs uh, by your term as generic drug users. Yeah. Um, but it makes it look like they're doing something. And what they're doing is a great deal of harm. What are some of the statistics that they're floating past people? They're just phony and lies. Well, uh, you know, Health Quality Ontario uh, did a survey that showed that um, uh, opioid prescriptions are going up. Uh, They really didn't say why they're going up, who they're going to, just that they're going up. And then they floated an anecdote of somebody who became an opioid addict because they had been prescribed opioids, uh, totally nonsensical in the medical world. Uh, You know, um, 
anecdotes do not make evidence. Mm -hmm. And there was no reason for that paper other than uh, possibly to uh, stow some fear in in people. Um, And then the government goes and it gets a bunch of anti-opioid people and holds a conference with them. Um, that was the conference, I think it was last November, in Ottawa. referred to, in Ottawa, where pain doctors were not allowed to be there. Yeah, no agenda. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, they, they have somebody talk about how opioids don't uh, help with pain, and they're highly dangerous. And they continually take statistics that have to do with street drugs and generic drug users or drug addicts, and then they transpose them somehow in a very crafty and sly manner to insinuate that it's the pain patients who are the problem or who are not being helped by the opioids. When the, they won't even listen to the pain patients who are telling them how necessary their pills or their medication is, not because they're hooked on, on the opioids. As I said to the minister, what they're hooked on, what they're addicted to, is living without pain. We'll come back and hear from Richard Lawhern and more from Dr. Webster and more from Marvin Ross on The Roy Green Show. Stay with us. Roy Green isn't afraid to poke the bear. The bigger the bear, the bigger the poke. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. The issue is chronic pain. The issue has become opioids. And the issue has become opioids because... Some uh, individuals, and it's been argued that it all began with insurance companies, not wanting to pay out claims for people with uh, chronic pain. The, the issue is that, uh, that opioids have become the favorite whipping child for chronic pain patients. Now, you have people who are using drugs, buying them on the street, and buying illicit drugs. That's one thing. Those are the addicts. They're buying their drugs. They'll buy whatever they, 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 they can get their hands on. In some cases, as we've heard, uh, chronic pain patients who are denied their medication are driven to the streets to try to get whatever they can to knock their pain down. The, the whole issue of taking care of patients is what's slid to the side, what's just been removed from the equation. Richard Lawhern, Ph.D., advocate for chronic pain patients in the United States. You see your wife. You see your daughter every day. You see uh, you, you communicate with 40,000 people on a regular basis on Facebook, Richard. How serious a crisis has this become for chronic pain patients? How serious a crisis is it for the ones you love? Well, uh, for the ones I love, my daughter in particular is having enormous problems with her insurance company getting to get coverage for uh, medications that are needed after she's been through three back surgeries. And um, there is just a general suppression of uh, opioid prescription down here south of the border. Uh, very much the same influences that, that uh, uh, Dr. Webster mentioned and that your other panelists mentioned. Uh, beyond that, what we are seeing <clears throat> is what I believe to be an orchestrated campaign to suppress opioids for the financial gain of people in the, op- in the uh, addiction treatment industry. We're seeing a lot of public hype in numerous uh, media outlets down here and we're seeing junk science being published uh, uncritically 
that doesn't prove a darn thing except that the people who uh, have written it are uh, doing their absolute darndest to discredit opioids, which are, the, in many cases, the only safe and effective means of treating and managing chronic pain for people who have had absolutely no relief from any other therapy. There's a statistic that I think is very good here, and it's absolutely key to understanding this problem. People say, and they should know better, that three-quarters of all opioid addicts start with prescription drugs. That is an outright lie. What really is the case is that 90% of addicts start when they are a teenager. And in that age bracket, the number of people who have seen a doctor for a prescription for chronic pain is tiny. Literally, the people who are most at risk for addiction are people who can divert drugs either from a family member or from somebody on the street and use drugs that are not under prescription and not under management. The, the drug crisis never was created by prescriptions made by doctors. It was created by diversion of drugs. Okay. That's just what I heard there. No, 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 no. This is all important. I mean, we've, we've talked about so much about this issue, and we have to come back to the fundamentals. We also have to reach out to areas where we haven't been yet. By the way, can you all stay another 10, 15 minutes? Sure, sure, sure. All right. Because well, I want to continue. Richard Lawhorn, Dr. Lynn Webster, and Marvin Ross, um, my guests on the issue of chronic pain. Marvin, let me go back to this, uh, the, the point that I think is so important. And by the way, I, I spoke just a couple of weeks ago were the mother and uh, a daughter of uh, a gentleman in Vermont who took his own life. And it was horrific to hear the mother and daughter explain the path of absolute neglect and lack of interest and lack of focus on those who were supposedly treating him that led him to, to kill himself at age 53. Um, Marvin, let's go back to that, that issue, that, that, that Ottawa conference. Mm-hmm. Why possibly... Would the federal health minister, the Ontario health minister, decide to hold a summit on opioids and say the only people who aren't invited are pain patients and their caregivers? Well, that's a $64,000 question. Um, I guess I would... Doesn't that, doesn't that just answer the whole question about well, what they're up to? <laughs> they don't want reality. They don't want reality. They're it. afraid of reality. Because um, it because it it counter it counters their agenda. Yeah. Well, the bizarre thing, and I, I want to throw this out before I forget, is the chair of the Canadian Guidelines Study uh, at McMaster University is a chiropractor. Yeah. Uh, you've had him on your show. I have, Professor Busa. Uh I have tried twice to do an interview with them. And I have not heard back from McMaster Media. Okay, let me get you to hold, please. Uh, Richard Lawhorn, Dr. Lynn Webster, Marvin Ross, get you to hold. Don uh, Ray Downton has also asked uh, Professor Busa to do an interview with her, and she's asked, posed some tremendous questions and hasn't had a response, or at least hasn't had the interview. We'll come back with our guests, more from them, and then the White House. Is there chaos on Pennsylvania Avenue? Don't let his bark fool you. Roy has a softer side, too. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
Chronic pain is what we're talking about, and my guests are Marvin Ross, health writer for HuffPost Canada, uh, Dr. Lynn Webster, past president of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, and uh, his online film is ThePainfulTruth.com. There's also the book, The Painful Truth, and it's LynnWebster.com, L-Y-N-N, Webster.com is the website. Richard Lawhorn, PhD, is an advocate for chronic pain patients in the United States and Canada. Has the Facebook page with 40,000 people paying attention to what Richard posts. Now, look, I want to say something to you. If you're a pain patient, thanks for all the emails where you say, thank you, Roy, for fighting for us. You have to start fighting for yourself. Form a group, form an association, start a class action lawsuit, start a charter challenge in Canada. Fight back. Fight back. And remember, 40,000 plus people die in Canada annually from tobacco consumption related illnesses. Where's the political focus on the 40,000 plus deaths that are related to tobacco? It's not the flavor du jour, I guess. Uh, Dr. Webster, Lynn Webster, Lynn, what is the, um, your book and your film are titled The Painful Truth. What is The Painful Truth? Well, The Painful Truth is that people in pain are being forgotten uh, and that um, they're set aside and not receiving the treatment from physicians or from uh, our political system, our health care systems, and both uh, Canada and the U.S., and, and that's the painful truth. They're just plain being forgotten. And it's not difficult to find stories of people who are living in total agony, absolute life-destroying agony. Those stories are everywhere, and it's not that they can't find them. It's simply that they're being ignored. I'd like to ask you, how do we move forward? What's the best way? Lynn, what's the best way to start move for, moving forward? Do the doctors have to become more proactive? Do patients have to become more proactive? I don't think we can count on politicians and the walking lab coats, as I, I, I very unkindly describe some people. Uh, I don't think you can count on them changing their approach. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to take some courage from the patients, from the people who and their family and friends, um, that know and observe and see uh, how they're being treated. Uh, it, uh, there, are a, uh, there are physicians out there who are trying to advocate for them, like myself. But we are kind of set aside as well because of the political pressure, the economic pressures uh, that uh, payers uh, and the politicians are experiencing. And so the only way to really catch a drift and move this forward so that the, that people in pain are treated with dignity uh, is if the people in pain speak up and and demand to be heard. That doesn't mean you you're demanding that you have access to opioids. Uh, far far and away, I mean, opioids are not a very effective treatment for many uh, many people, but they are necessary for a subset of the population if they're going to have uh, uh, a life. That's reasonable. If they, if they take away, they, you know, the day I'm talking about, if they take away the opioids, what's to stop them from taking away other um, medications and medical assists that people require? That's always my next question. That's not something I want to explore with you, but that's always the next question. Richard, uh, what's the next step? I think... The organization thing has to acknowledge a reality, and that is that in the chronic pain population, large numbers are financially destitute. Large numbers are 
immobilized by uh, the pain that they suffer. And they can't do it alone. So one of the things that is uh, that is uh, that we're trying to start down here in the U.S. is an advocacy program using medical professionals, uh, bloggers, healthcare writers. I'm associated with a group of about 70 people doing that professionally. We're kind of a uh, almost a one-voice truth squad for uh, contradicting messages in in the media. And one of the things that we're trying to get underway is a direct confrontation mode. Go interview your legislator's health care legislative assistant uh, movement, if you will. Rather a long way to put it. We want to have people organize with knowledge at their disposal to schedule appointments with their legislators' uh, staffs and basically tell them face-to-face, your, your boss is killing me, and I want you to stop him. And to do it face-to-face in the, in the legislative offices of the, the people who um, basically should be acting to correct the problems we're having with our local Centers for Disease Control and FDA and, and uh, similar agencies. Okay, Marvin, what about Canada? What has to happen? Do we have to have a combined effort with American patients and Canadian patients, or is this a Canadian issue for Canadian patients here? Well, I, I think the issues are a bit different because of the uh, universal health care uh, issue, and I think that a lot of pressure has to be put on the politicians. But part of the problem uh, are the colleges of physicians and surgeons the self-regulating group and that's a whole other topic if you ever want to talk about it how useless they are um, but the uh, colleges of physicians and surgeons are the ones putting pressure on doctors who prescribe opioids because they've been given the green light to by the government so I think it's really a political issue. We have to go after the politicians. And some of the colleges have already started to remove or suspend physicians' right to prescribe narcotics. Yeah, and that's actually not new. Uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons of, of Ontario um, has always been very strict about investigating doctors for opioid prescribing. Um while they uh, they kind of ignore doctors who commit other offenses um, and protect them. Um, but it was somebody on your show who had made the point that the Ontario Ministry of Health had given the names of high-prescribing opioid doctors to the Ontario College for investigation. And, you know, that is just not cricket. I mean, it's, it's just downright reprehensible. Yeah. You know what I would do? And this is just a gut thing. This is not something that's going to happen, but this is a gut thing. I would want to take the federal health minister, Minister Phil Pott, and the Ontario Minister of Health, who doesn't seem to have the courage to call or challenge, Minister Hoskins, and I'd like to put them in a, in a, in a, in a confined area with half a dozen chronic pain patients who've had their medications withheld and who are trying to get through their days and nights living in agony. I would want the Federal Minister of Health and the Ontario Minister of Health, who are both physicians, to have to sit there and witness it and not reach for a prescription pad and write something out. I'd want them to be there and then 
publicly describe what they saw. Richard Lawhorn, Dr. Webster, Marvin Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, my pleasure. Thank you for having us. All the best. LenWebsterMD.com is the website, and uh, just look up Richard Lawhorn, L-A-W-H-E-R-N, and Marvin Ross, R-O-S-S, health writer for HuffPost Canada. When we come back, is it chaos on Pennsylvania Avenue? We'll talk to our friend from uh, Rasmussen and uh, Frank Coombs, who's the managing editor and former editor of the Washington Times. What's going on in the Trump White House?